Welcome to Who is Jesus, a limited edition podcast by Central Western Church in St. Louis. Each week, we explore a different aspect of Jesus' life, identity, self-understanding, and purpose in the world. Our goal is to look beyond the hot takes to the historical sources themselves in order to see more clearly who Jesus is and why it matters for us. For more information about Jesus or about Central West End Church, please visit www.centralwestendchurch.com. And now, please enjoy this week's episode of Who is Jesus? Good morning. John chapter 13, verse 1 through 20. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens 
so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me. And whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. The privilege of preaching is something I never take lightly. But when you hear what the Lord wants you to preach and then you have the privilege of getting up to say it, it's especially sweet. I thank you for sharing that privilege with me. Over the past 11 weeks, our sermons have addressed the question, who is Jesus? Hoping to aid understanding and encourage faith. In the last few weeks, we have said Jesus is teacher, Jesus is healer, Jesus is judge, Messiah, ransom and lamb. Jesus is the temple, the true Israel. Jesus is God himself. And Jesus, last week, Eric said, is the champion, the apocalyptic warrior. Well, in today's reading, at first glance, Jesus looks more like a weakling than a warrior. This is a painting by Ford Maddox Brown of the late 19th century, Jesus washing Peter's feet. Sometimes this painting is reproduced with Jesus with clothes on. Ford Maddox Brown painted it with just the towel the cloth around his waist. But you and I both know that in life, as in scripture, things are not always what they seem. So we invoke this morning the Holy Spirit's enlightenment. I, I really mean we invoke the Holy Spirit's enlightenment to help us understand what we just heard Joel read in hopes that it will help us to understand more of who Jesus is. The account she just read is unique to the Gospel of John. It's not included in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. That gives some people a problem. That, that's anomalous, and there are a number of other anomalies of that kind, and that has prompted a lot of questions and speculation about why don't all the Gospels tell the same stories? Why don't all the Gospels quote the same words? And for some people, that's really a, a, a deal-breaker. I am not going to even attempt to address those concerns in this sermon, but suffice it to say that when you read the Gospel of John, it is evident that the writer has given us a more curated set of Jesus' actions. The Gospel of John contains very few stories about what Jesus did. And he gives us a much more extended set of what Jesus said. So John tells fewer stories, but he tells us more about what they mean and how he wants them to be understood, how God wants them to be understood. I think, I think an example might help with that. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is quoted as saying this to his disciples. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what Mark quotes Jesus saying. And the Gospel of Luke has very much the same sense in slightly different wording. The Gospel of Luke writer puts it at a different point in the story of Jesus. But that sentiment, that idea that the first must be last and the last must be first and Jesus didn't come to be served, that's all over the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But listen to how John communicates that very same truth. John says, at the Passover meal, without a word of advance explanation, Jesus got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, his his cloak, whatever outer clothing he had, and wrapped a towel around his waist. Now, think of a wrapping something large around your waist. After that, he not only gets up and takes his cloak, you know, removes his outer garments, we'd be like, what's he doing? But he pours water into a basin, into some kind of low bowl probably, and kneels down and begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, they're reclining. They weren't sitting in chairs. They were reclining at long benches probably at table. That was the custom for the Passover meal and the custom in that day. So Jesus didn't have to grovel down. But he was kneeling down washing their feet, and he dries their feet with a towel around him. What is that all about? Because you know it's about something. It's in the Bible. Jesus isn't playing. (laughs) It's in the Bible. It means something. Well, Jesus didn't explain his actions in advance, and we know that because Peter objects and, and questions him. They didn't know what was happening. So what is happening here? Jesus says the first must be last. If you want to enter my kingdom, you have to enter as a child. I didn't come to be served, but to serve Jesus had said those same things over and over and over before this night. But he knows that just like us, his disciples were sometimes spiritually deaf. And so this night he stops talking for a while. He just stands up, kneels down, as if to say, watch me. Watch me. He's not simply telling. He's showing So what? What is he showing? What's he trying to say by getting down and washing his disciples' feet? Well, background. In that day, you know this, people walked almost everywhere. Very few people had a conveyance of any sort. They were walking, and they were walking in the dirt. Even their homes were dirt. In the most, I'm talking now about the average person. So foot washing was a daily necessity. Their feet were dirty, of course. Imagine what you'd be walking in. Not just nice, clean sand. And so, in a simple household, a household of average means, everybody would wash their own feet. The women, the men, the children wash their own. But in a household of more advanced means, where there were servants and slaves, foot washing would be relegated to the slaves. Not the servants, who might also be, at some other times, helping in other ways. Only slaves did foot washing. The lowest of the low. Well, now, in those days, it was just like it is now, social status with everything. The markers of social status were different, but social status meant everything, whether you were a Jew or a Roman or a Greek or whomever. So no social superior would have ever touched, much less washed, the feet of somebody farther down the food chain. That would just be the world turned upside down. That wasn't how things are done. 
So, what more effective way to communicate a complete inversion of expectation? The disciples were watching Jesus in puzzled expressions and maybe whispering, what's he doing? What's he doing? And Jesus' actions seemed to say to them without words, see, I'm not the person you were expecting. Let go of what you had hoped and planned. But he didn't say any of that out loud. And so when he finished washing their feet, he put on his garments and returned to his place. And once there, Jesus finally spoke to remind them that he was not only an amazing teacher, but he was their Lord as they had never imagined. And that gives us the answer to today's question. Who is Jesus? Jesus is Lord. It wasn't uncommon for Jesus' disciples to call him Lord. It was virtually inevitable. I mean, think about the stories we know. All four Gospels attest that Jesus spoke and acted with lordly authority. Matthew writes that everybody in the crowd was amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as authority and not as their teachers. The demons and the dark powers recognized who Jesus was, and they submitted to his authority. Even the wind and waves, the disciples say, submit to his authority. They know he is the Lord of creation. I mean, we don't have to read a whole lot more scripture to know that the world came into being through Jesus. He owns it. He's the Lord. And I love the story that even a centurion of the mighty Roman Empire recognized and respected Jesus' authority when he came to Jesus to ask for help. He comes and says, listen to this, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. And Jesus said, I love how Jesus sets people up. Jesus said, shall I come and heal him? And the centurion says, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority and I have soldiers under me. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, and come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard the centurion's words, he was amazed at his faith. And he said to the centurion, go. Let it be done just as you believed it would. And his servant was healed at that moment, says the writer of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus is Lord of life. John began this extraordinary story of the foot washing by giving us an insight into Jesus' mind. I love this, and I would love to know, and maybe someday I'll be able to ask the writer of the Gospel of John how he knew this, but Jesus knew. How does he know what Jesus knows? Well, he did. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Another translation said, had put all things in his hands, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus is sitting there. He knows that. I I just can't even grasp that. Jesus had claim to the highest status, the greatest authority in all reality, and he knew it. Just imagine in your own spirit what that means. I mean, think about our sports heroes. Think about our entertainment heroes. Think about big politicians who have all the stuff, who won all the trophies, who go all the way, and they know it. You don't see them kneeling down and washing somebody's feet much. 
<laughs> Jesus knows it. And he says to them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And there we see the great paradox of Jesus' passion. He is the Lord who kneels down to serve as a slave. Why? Why would the Lord of all that is, seen and unseen, humiliate himself by kneeling down and washing the filthy feet of the very creatures he himself had created? It doesn't seem to make any sense. I can only imagine the disciples' minds are just whirling. It's like, what? 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 Jesus knew they didn't understand. I don't think we fully understand. They had expected him to be a revolutionary lord who would overthrow the Roman government and establish his own domain. But Jesus overthrew their expectations because he wanted them to understand what was going to happen beginning just a little bit later that night. He was going to go out of that place with them. He was going to allow himself to be betrayed and arrested allow himself to be betrayed and arrested. And the very next day, he would continue to humiliate himself even further by allowing himself to be stripped and beaten, spat upon and mocked. And then he would willingly lie down, willingly lie down and allow himself to be nailed to a cross. I cannot imagine. Jesus, who that night had lowered himself to slave status, would the next day suffer the death of a slave. See, sometimes we fixate on the physicality of crucifixion, and God knows it must have been horrid. But to me, the mental battle was almost as much. Eric talked about that a couple of weeks ago, the battle of Gethsemane, the battle of all day being humiliated. At any time of that day, Jesus could have said, I'm done, I'm out, <laughs> this is too much. He doesn't say that. He continues to humiliate himself, to allow himself to be humbled over and over and over because, as John writes, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. That's an alternative translation. The full extent of his love. That night, Jesus had shown himself to be the Lord who serves. But not until after the resurrection would they come to understand that he serves because he is the Lord who loves. Jesus submitted to humiliation and death because he so loved his disciples and the world. Self-sacrifice was the only way. The only way that evil and death could be defeated. So Jesus took on himself all the fury of evil and all the horror of death because he loves. All this they would understand later. But while they still sat there wondering, Jesus also taught his disciples how his love would live among them even when he was gone. What did this have to do with their lives after? Jesus says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, I like how he flips the nominatives. They had called him teacher and Lord. He calls himself Lord and teacher. Have washed your feet. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. What did he mean? Clearly, he didn't mean literally. No, he was taking that experience of having revealed their dirty feet 
to him and having him clean them. And he was showing the disciples how to love each other. Now listen to this because I don't think we hear this much in preaching. And I believe it's from the Lord. During his time on earth, Jesus forgave sins just by saying so. Your sins are forgiven. He scandalized the Pharisees. Scandalized the Sadducees by telling people their sins were forgiven. He said it over and over and over. That we would call cleansing power. Cleansed from sin. That's why Jesus could tell the disciples they were clean. He said that in the passage. It's kind of hard to understand if you don't understand what he's talking about. By his death and resurrection, though, Jesus is going to secure a whole other level of forgiveness and cleansing. But this is important. Even those who have accepted the cleansing made possible by Jesus' sacrifice do not become perfect. And sometimes in the church, we don't teach this clearly. You're not perfect, and neither am I. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. How devoted your life is. We still sin and we sin every day. We sin in ways that we recognize and we sin in ways that we don't want to recognize. Sin is like dirty feet. We want to hide it. I think that's a problem in the world because the world sees the church and the world knows who we are. But we don't even want to admit to each other who we are. That doesn't mean we need rebaptism every day. We are clean, as Jesus said to Peter, but we do need to have our feet washed. And that is how Jesus shared his love, by giving his disciples the privilege and the responsibility of humbling themselves before each other and revealing to each other their everyday uncleanness, their sin. And then in love, they speak to each other the words of assurance that their guilt has been washed away by the grace of the Lord. I'm talking about confession and forgiveness. We did this just a few minutes ago. We do this in, in worship. But I'm talking about the Lord also authorizing that as a private practice. I know that's risky. I know it seems risky. Showing somebody who you really are. But isn't that what you want? Don't you just want to be able to say, this is who I really am? You know, warts and all, dirty feet and all. I want to tell you about something that happened to me many, many years ago. And the only person, the only other person involved in the incident is long, long, long gone to be with Jesus. And she would have wanted me to tell you this. And you'll know why when you hear the story. I was in my office at the church. I was, I said, pastor on the door. I'm at the church. And somebody comes to the door. And I, I had seen this woman before in worship. I probably met her. I'd probably given her communion. But I didn't really know her very well. She was a little bit older. And she comes to the door. She was sort of a thin, older woman, sort of bent over. And she said, pastor, do you have a minute? And I said, yes, I do. have all the time in the world. Come on in. And I said, have a seat. And she said, I'll just stand. She said, I've come for you to hear my confession. And I said, well, I knew she had grown up in another faith tradition. And I said, well, I, I will be honored to hear it. But, you know, you don't have to do that. You don't have to come to me. And she said, but I need you to hear it. And so she sank right down to the ground. I mean, literally, like, sank down to the ground. Just sort of hunched down. She began to tell me what she had done, something she had done decades before. A sin that she had committed that she felt such deep shame. I had seen that on her, but I didn't know what it was. I could tell that she was one of those people who was just sort of like shrunken, you know, 
just like wasn't, wasn't standing up. She was just like bearing a burden. And of course, I didn't know her. I, I, she'd only been there a short time. I, and so she begins to tell me this story. And I could, it was just like she was just overwhelmed. She just began to sob. She told me what happened, what she had done. And it was decades before. And she was a young woman. And she finished crying. And she looked up, just kind of looked barely up at me. And she said, can I be forgiven? And I said, sister... You already are. <laughs> and I hugged her, and she hugged me, and we both just bawled. And after a few minutes, I helped her up, and she helped me up, and we got up. And she walked to the door, and as she stood at the door, she turned around, and she said, I just feel like telling somebody what you said to me, that we're already forgiven. And she just went out joyful. I, she and I always had a special bond until she died some years later. She wanted to tell people. You see, because... Jesus set his disciples an example of confession and forgiveness. In the privacy of a relationship, Jesus says, I want you to love each other by taking that risk and by protecting the vulnerability of the other person. She knew I wouldn't tell anyone. She was treating me like she would have treated a priest, but her confidence was safe even if I had only been her sister in Christ. I have no right to share what has someone else has done, I do have the obligation and the privilege of sharing with her that Jesus has already forgiven her. And when you do that with someone, whew, the lift, the lift in them and the lift in you, it's like you have knelt down. She and I were sitting on the floor, and I felt like we were levitating. I mean, we just felt like, whoa, you know. this is, It was amazing. I have had that experience over and over and over in so many different ways with so many different people in different settings, Sometimes in a restaurant, you go, don't, don't get on the floor. But, you know, sometimes, you know, don't you just want to say to someone, this is who I am. This is what I'm struggling with. And have that person not look away and, like, start drinking their water and not paying attention. No, but say to you, you know, grace be with you. Jesus is here. He died on the cross. I said to a text in one of my friends the other day, she was telling me something she was struggling with, and she was frustrated with herself because she kept doing the same thing and I said to her as Martin Luther would have said this is what grace is for and she said she texted back and said and aren't we glad it is <laughs> yes we are you know so that's the thing see we do this as a corporate body and that's wonderful that is wonderful but if we're ever going to have a witness like that woman had as she walked out my door when we're free from the burden of keeping our sins hidden we can go into the world as messengers of the good news of the kingdom of our Lord. Amen. Amen. <laughs> That's the message, see. You don't have a message until you're free to send it. You don't have a message until you're free to speak it because you're too busy thinking about yourself. When we are safe in the assurance of our Lord's love, we can live in the world as humble servants because I don't have to keep climbing the ladder of success and significance. Because my significance, my success, my safety is in the Lord. I can look down to where the needs are and I can lower myself in whatever that means. Physically, literally, financially, energetically, whatever. Lower yourself to serve needs, to love others as Jesus has loved us. Jesus calls his disciples then and now to do as he did in order that he might send us as the Father sent him. And he was very definitely sent to that night. Reclining at table 
In the twilight of the darkness before the dawn of his death, Jesus was looking into a struggle and a surrender no one else will ever know. But after the darkness will come the glory. Because although Jesus was in the beginning the Word and was with God and was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but made himself nothing, humbling himself and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow on heaven, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Who is Jesus? For more information about Jesus or about Central West End Church, please visit www.centralwestendchurch.com.